This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 44 The Lani Zamora UFO Encounter Thousands of reports of unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena are reported and documented each year. Some are just misinterpreted craft or mistaken lights in the sky. However, some cases are genuine and lead to thorough investigations and military intervention. This is one such case. It was a hot day in the early evening of April 24th, 1964. Lonnie Zamora was on duty watching the local traffic as he did from time to time. The day had been pretty normal and slow up to that point, and he was starting to wonder if he would see any activity at all. He sat in his patrol car just off the road as he watched each car passing by on the highway. He had just started to nearly doze off when a car speeding beyond the intended speed limit came past his car. He immediately flipped on his lights and sirens. He quickly radioed into dispatch at 5.45pm to let them know he was in pursuit of the speeding car. Driving through the desert near Socorro, New Mexico. His tires screeched under the heat of the sun-bathed asphalt as he matched his actions to the car ahead of him. Excitement overtook him as he reminded himself of his duty to serve and protect his community. He had fully committed to the chase, with intentions of catching the reckless individual. He continued following the speeding vehicle as they pulled onto another stretch of road that extended further into the desert. All of a sudden, what could only be described as the sound of a large blast could be heard from a distance, coming from his right. The sound rumbled the earth under him and could be felt from the inside of his patrol car. What the hell was that? He said to himself in response. Lonnie then quickly radioed back into dispatch. Uh, dispatch, this is Zamora. I'm going to have to cease pursuit. I think there was an accident. I need to go check it out. He quickly stopped and exited the vehicle. Cupping his hands over his face to shield the brightness of the sun, he surveyed the landscape for where the sound originated. 
At that point, he saw a bright light in the distance. It looked like the type of light that would be emitted from a firework or an explosion. It was nearly piercing, and he had to squint to see it. Lonnie tilted the rim of his hat downward towards his face and returned to his patrol car and set out for the location of the light and the loud blast he had heard previously. Little did he know, his entire life and the way he perceived existence would change that evening. He drove nearly a mile before he saw anything. He slowly approached what appeared to be a large, upturned car. Immediately concerned, he decided to get closer. Upon further inspection, it wasn't an upturned car, but something altogether completely different. At first, he didn't know what to make of it. The object in front of him appeared to be an oval or egg-shaped vehicle, supported by four legs, planted firmly on the ground. As he inched closer, he could see that the object was metallic and off-white in color, and appeared to be made from aluminum. It shined under the light of the sun, but it wasn't as bright as he would expect it to be. He stood there for several minutes, confused by what he was seeing, and also curious of the nature of the particular object. He decided to get closer to it. As he was nearly there, he was met by two figures, standing four feet tall in height. What could only be described as a small adult or a large child, wearing white coveralls or a suit, were doing something outside of the craft. He stepped on a small twig that snapped under his foot, and it attracted the attention of one of the figures. It immediately turned its head in Lonnie's direction, almost as if he had caught it off guard. Lonnie briefly turned away with the intention of investigating further. Before he turned back, he heard what appeared to be the sound of a hatch, or a door opening and shutting. When he looked back, the two figures had disappeared. At this time he was fully confused and didn't understand what he was seeing. He had wondered if a military training facility was doing flight testing or if NASA had came to do work in the area. However, it didn't make sense. The craft was nothing like he'd ever seen or experienced before. He was used to seeing different aircraft in the area and was no stranger to it. But this was different. Before he could get any closer, the object started making a loud humming sound and then roared to life as it started to slowly ascend in the air. This startled Lonnie and caused him to trip and fall, dropping his glasses to the ground. The flame could be seen exhausting from the bottom of it as it hovered a few feet off the ground. Shielding himself from the heat of the exhaust, he circled the craft, getting a better view of it. He inspected it for any sign of military or anything, and found a marking or some form of insignia on one side. It wasn't of military origin or NASA or anything like he had ever seen was a large arrow shape 
imprinted in red. At that point, the craft descended further upward, still roaring high and low-pitched roar, before going silent. It hovered over him for a couple of minutes, and then quickly flew away and out of view. Lonnie ran to his patrol car, requesting further assistance. Within a few minutes, fellow officer Sergeant Sam Chavez arrived at the scene. As he approached Lonnie, he commented, You don't look too good. You look like you saw a ghost. He could tell Lonnie was in distress and appeared to be shocked and scared by whatever he had witnessed. Lonnie explained the craft and the beings he had seen before Chavez arrived. He also showed him marks in the ground where the legs stood, digging into the rocky and sandy terrain. Upon further inspection, they were able to see four large holes where the legs stood, each one roughly ten inches in diameter and roughly eight inches deep. Lonnie also pointed out smaller prints that appeared to be made by the figures he had seen. They were small and circular, similar to traces of a suction cup after it's depressed from a surface. The craft left behind a charred perimeter, burning everything around it, leaving some bushes and plants still smoldering. They radioed in what they had found, it wasn't long before the state police came to perform an investigation. They noted Lonnie's story and detailed the area. After further inspection of the area where the craft sat, some of the sand underneath had compacted so much, due to the heat it turned to glass. The next day the military arrived to perform an investigation. They spent a lot of time grilling Lonnie and having him retell his story and recount the events over and over. He became very exhausted with how much time he spent going over every single detail. Over the following days, the incident had been investigated by local and state police, military including several representatives from the Air Force, and numerous journalists. Each party had something different to say. At first, the military didn't have much to say in regarding to the incident. They were baffled. After several other tests were done, they had confirmed the area was clear of any soil abnormalities, and no higher than normal traces of radioactivity were found. In their initial report, it was stated... All possible explanations were explored by Army Captain Richard T. Holder, who attempted to determine whether White Sands Missile Range at Holloman Air Force Base had anything that might produce the conditions described. But neither White Sands Missile Range nor Holloman had an object that would compare to the object described. There was no known firing mission in progress at the time of the occurrence that would produce the conditions reported. This left a lot of remaining questions by everyone involved. There was no question that Lonnie Zamora had witnessed and experienced something that day. However, it was as though it was being swept under the rug, or he was being made out to be incorrect in what he had seen. 
A local radio show took interest in Lonnie's story and interviewed him. Among the questions asked, these were some of them. Now you did say you saw two what appeared to be people dressed in white uniforms. Did they have helmets on, like spacemen or anything? Uh, no sir, I wouldn't say it's a people. I just saw something white, white coveralls, that, that's all I can say. Like there was something in white coveralls? You couldn't identify them as actually being a human being like you and I are? Uh, no, no sir. You don't know if they turned and saw you? Or what then? Well, uh, to my, I would say this, this white object turned and saw me. Yes. Were there two of them? I would say there are two because one of them was in the front and the other object in the back. Did you have a, have a chance to, to notice what kind of doorway they had to this, um, this object, this flying object? Uh, I, I didn't notice any door, no. And, uh, um, when that took off, uh, it, it made a loud, a loud roaring sound? Is that, uh, is that? I heard a very, very loud noise, uh, a roar sound. Then after it got up in the air about 20 feet, well, the sound seemed to disappear? The sound was, uh, disappeared and very, very quiet. You could hear a pen drop there. By this point, numerous other reports surfaced, supporting Lonnie's claims. One report was made before he was even ever on the scene. The Albuquerque television station was contacted at 5.30 p.m. on April 24th. They stated, a UFO was heading south of the city. Other reports surfaced claiming to hear that roar Lonnie had heard and even claimed to see a bright glowing object ascend in the sky. Local and manager of a service station in the area, Opal Grinder, stated two men had came to a station that day and said that they had seen a low-flying object in the sky that nearly ran them off the road. They described it as being egg-shaped, unlike anything they had seen before. When Opal asked them if it could have been a small helicopter, they said, No, it would have been a funny-looking helicopter if that's what it was. Despite the stir in the community and reports that supported Lonnie's Morris claims, many did not take his story seriously, and he was met by public scrutiny and ridicule. The story went on to make national headlines and was documented in Project Blue Book as undetermined or unexplained. It's one of the most fascinating and well-documented of its kind. After everything... Lonnie stopped talking about the events, and to this day, its authenticity still remains one of speculation. One thing still holds true. Whatever happened near Socorro, New Mexico, changed the lives of many on that fateful day in April of 1964.
Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, an ad break. Greetings, starseeds. It is I, the all-knowing alien, channeling this message for you. Our oracle deck lands. Kickstarter. 5-1-2022. Join us today at Celestial Alien Oracle Instagram. And now, the debrief. All right. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah dude we're, let's we're get back. into it <laughs> all right all right um this is this is one that uh i, I was i was actually really stoked to be able to do yeah uh, i'm hyped for this one because this is i mean it's one of those it's one of those like gems that uh there was a lot of supporting information that yeah. made this one of the most compelling cases of its kind yeah ufologists love this case uh, yeah it they was it, it was huge it was huge and you know, not only that, but like there was, I mean, there was a lot of information, but there was so many, like he did so many like radio interviews and all these other mm-hmm. things where like he met with people to like talk about, you know, this event. And well, I know we'll get into some of the change in for information that he provided. Yeah. Um, that he was quote unquote told by the military to not, uh, talk about disclose. So, yeah. Exactly. So he stopped. Uh, but there's a lot of information that conflicts with each other that, like I said, it's when he was specifically told, no, sorry, I'm not allowed to talk about that. So I like, yeah. I dig that too. Like, that's a really cool area or avenue that, you know, we'll kind of we'll reach, we'll reach down that yeah. rabbit hole. I mean, if there's one thing that you ufology people love more than aliens, it's government cover-ups. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And this is an entire uh, government cover-up on this one. So, Well, like... I think personally, I think the reason why this case is so popular and it's so it's cited so frequently is because Lonnie Zamora is like the perfect witness. Yeah, he's like I agree with that for sure. Totally upstanding member of society. He's like he's he had no notable interest in UFOs before this. He like he was a totally normal dude and a trained observer as a policeman i was gonna say he was a police officer too Yeah, exactly you know and another thing that he was also he he was very familiar with the air traffic in the area too yeah you know living and growing up in this area for so long like he knew what traveled overhead like he was he was no stranger to that and that's one thing i also mentioned in the story um you know so like this is this is where the this gets kind of crazy because he knew like what was around the area when they did specific whether it be testing or whatever you know things like that like yeah. you know, he is he was well aware of those things and like going back to what you mentioned about all the interviews he did it's not just the volume of interviews he did but the quality of them he he deliver his delivery is this like deadpan like just serious straight like no nonsense he's not telling a spooky story right he's literally just like recounting a memory and it's so obvious when you're listening to him yeah like the same way he would like 
the same way he would discuss like a domestic dispute that he had broken up the night before mm-hmm. on on shift you know what i mean Yeah, like if any of our listeners haven't heard any of his actual which i know of course we're reenacting some of that right but if you haven't heard some of the actual initial reports go and listen to them i mean they're they're publicly publicly available yeah they're Um, pretty compelling honestly yeah because i mean you know and this guy he's like he's you know you can tell he's not like just talking out of his butt like he's like he's actually like yeah um you know this is how it was this is what i saw like you know and so like the line that always sticks out to me that like shows how how like just no frills he was about the story was he has this line in one of the one of the interviews i forget which one it may have been that radio interview that he did um but he describes them as being the beings as being roughly the size of a small adult or a large child. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's exactly how he described it. A small adult yeah. or a large child. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> such like a, you know, like he's not concerned with style at all. You know what I right. mean? Like he's literally just, this is the most accurate way. I it's can very matter of factly, basically, yes. you know, exactly. That's, yeah. that's the perfect description. It's, Everything is matter yeah, of fact. Exactly. Effect. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's, it's funny, but at the same time, like it also, I think it gives it that much more like authenticity. Wait. Yes. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels so much more real because the, it feels like a policeman telling you what happened in an altercation. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like, the same way he would fill out a police report, right? The same way he would like be a witness on the stand mm-hmm. for a case he was involved with. He's he just gives like the facts. This innocent bystander that's literally listing off what happened. Yeah. He's just recording history. Yeah, and then he just gives it back to you. Yeah, which you know that's it's such a far shot from some of the more like fantastical UFO yeah. encounters that you hear, right? It's there's none of that like fan none of that fan fiction writing shit that I really can't stand. Um it's he's just he comes off so believable. And I think that's right. the core of why this people go back to this case over I, and over. I again. agree. I agree on 100%. Um I think it was very authentic like authentic in his description and everything. And there was even um an initial like initial report that uh, I was trying to find it in my notes here because, of course, I have way too many things here. Um, yeah. That I, I just want to make sure it's it's quote you know quote line for line and everything. Um, but there was an initial report that stated essentially Lonnie, I guess to make a long story short, was of sound like mind and body and everything. He wasn't yeah. the type to make up stories. He didn't believe yeah. in fantastical fantasy. Um, he was completely sober, um, you know, and, and this was, and this was a legit report that was actually said, you know, in regards to him. Yeah. That, um, yeah, again, that he wouldn't make these things up, you know, it was, it yeah. was kind of out of his character basically. Yeah. There's also anytime, anytime an, an incident takes place for a policeman, I don't know if it was like that in the sixties, but I know now anytime 
an incident takes place, the policeman is like debriefed by a by a superior and they like make all those assessments. Right. Like are they like are they currently of sound mind? Are they are they altered at all? Like Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they make and they fill out a full report on the basically the headspace that the officer's in while giving the report. I mean, because that's important. You know, that's important yeah. because it, it does lead, you know, it does at least give something to say about the authenticity of their story. Yeah. You absolutely. know, obviously if they're like on something, um, right. You know, or even not, if they come back like super, or, right. They're even like if in they're a like, really bad headspace or, yeah. you know, something like that. Yeah. It's going to influence how they perceive and how they tell that story. Yeah, even if they come back and they're like super, they're just super agitated for whatever reason. Like that's notable, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. While you're looking for for that, we should say that today is the what seventy eighth anniversary. Fifty eighth. <laughs> Sorry, fifty eighth. Fifty eighth anniversary um, of this uh, particular case. Yeah, this happened April 24th, 1964. Today is April 24th, 2022. Yeah. So at the time of recording this show, not when you're listening to it, it's going to be a little bit (laughs) later, but to us, this is a big, it's, it's a very specific, like monumental period in time to honor this case, you know? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty mind blowing that this Almost sixty years later, you know, fifty-eight years later, we're sitting here still discussing, still talking to, like, about, parse it. out exactly right. what happened, right? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I agree, I agree, and of course, like now, this one, I mean, there's there's very specific things, like you know, the the, the events that lead up to this, um, and we'll just kind of recount those again. We go over in the story to kind of further set the scene. But it literally the it like the details come down to um Lonnie was basically reported at five forty five PM on April twenty fourth, nineteen sixty four, uh that he is in pursuit of this car that was speeding. Um mm-hmm. they ended up taking basically a route through some streets in the desert that ended up going further in. Yeah. During that time, minutes later he reported the crash sound, like a very loud like explosion yeah. almost. I know and he then, initially thought it was like a car crash. Right. right? He initially thought um, it was a car crash. Yep. Hats off um, to him, by the way, for letting a speeder go to go right, help with yeah, a car exactly. crash. Right. And he even, yeah. he even said that like he saw this bright light that almost seemed like a flame slowly descending to earth. Right. Uh, which I didn't really get d- deep into that other than like the brightness of this, like the you know, thing that he yeah. saw. Um, and then basically at that point, he kind of pulled off to the side of the road looked off into the distance, looked at this, you know, looked for the sound where it originated, found this, this light. It was roughly about a half a mile to a mile up the road and he set out for it. Yeah. Um, which this was, this is a, you know, kind of a crazy chain of events because when he arrives on scene, like as he's pulling up, he thinks he still thinks it's an overturned car, a car that yeah. basically flipped. Like he sees it on its side, basically. Um, then as you know, essentially as it gets closer, it's this almost like oval egg shaped, like, which I don't think really does it justice um, yeah. in the description. It's this like big, long, like wide. It's like 20 or 30 feet wide or something like that. I think it was, it was ultimately described as 
okay. um, object. Essentially, it looked like it was kind of on its side, almost four feet tall. Essentially, looking like a saucer-shaped craft. Okay, uh, you know, bag, so, as you put everything together. Because I always, I always hear this referred to as being egg-shaped. Egg-shaped, right? right. And like it's one oval, of the things, it's oval-shaped. Is it like an egg on its side? That's that's my interpretation of it. Right? Is it was okay. initially an actual egg on its side? Like it was. So kind it's of like, like an oblong saucer. Yeah, I guess so. You know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but also on four legs are stilts, right? That are essentially Which like is very fifties sci-fi. Ex- yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the sixties, so yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, and then the legs are planted firmly within the ground. I mean, obviously, you come down like that much weight, you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, yeah. You know, some obviously, in. it's gonna be buried a little bit, or you're gonna shift some earth a little bit. Yeah. Um, so essentially he gets closer, he's you know, curious about it, and as he gets closer, he happens to find two figures, creatures, beings, whatever you want to call them, that mm-hmm. are there. And just as startled to see him as he is them. And at yeah. the at the quick I mean, he quickly decides he needs to go investigate, and he turns his head for a brief second. And and I didn't I didn't fully explain it is how fast that that whole thing happens. It's literally yeah. in like a split second he turns his head and he hears he hears basically like a door opening and shutting. You know, it's that that almost like a hatch yeah. or like a car door or something. Um, See, and I wonder. Gone. I wonder about that because I know in his account he 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 mentions hearing a door right. But he never really describes exactly what he means by that. Right, because like, he can't find where it happened. He can't, as, Even as right. he looks about the craft, he can't find an actual opening to it. But he never describes the sound other than it's the sound of a door, and that drives me crazy. Right, well, he, like, he described it as the sound of like what would be like a car door. Opening. He says car door? It does say car door. Interesting. At least in okay. the things that I've read. Um Okay. Which, I mean, could also be interpreted as a car door, a hatch, you know, something. Sure. Like something actually opening and shutting. I just wanted that that sound in my head. I wasn't sure. Because, yeah. like, part of me, of course, wants, like, the Star Trek, like, sh- sh- doors, right? I don't think that's what um, he heard, though. Yeah. I think it's more if like If he said a- car door, then it was like, right. like a clunk. Yeah. Like a clunking noise, right? Um, Or a latching noise. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, that's so it's so bizarre already. Like and it, it should be noted this is like late April at in uh, it's in like the five o'clock yeah. hour. So right? I mean so at this point you're coming on five forty five, six PM. Exactly. Yeah. And then this is also out in the New Mexico desert. Yeah. So I mean the, it's still like Yeah. Cause I know back in the day I remember hearing some people talk about like, oh, it was evening time, the reduced I mean, visibility, is. but so you, right, but it's but not reduced visibility. No, his only in April, reduced that's visi- still broad daylight at right. five forty-five. The only thing, the only argument that comes to in reduced visibility is the fact that he tripped and dropped his glasses. Right. The rest but of the watch like without wearing through. his glasses. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So Which, basically, he sees it take off without his glasses yeah, on. Exactly. And as okay. he's like going around looking for markings and things like that, I mean, you know, like that's essentially. Yeah, to my knowledge, is when he is without his glasses at that point. 
So he doesn't have his glasses on when he spots the red arrow insignia. To my knowledge, again, and that that could have been slightly different, but you know, just kind of uh, kind of explained a little bit differently in multiple cases. But in I mean, this that's case, for the though. sake of it, yes, right, yeah. So what he sees is a red arrow, but you know, obviously, depending on the man's prescription, yeah, um, it could really could have been anything. Could. Uh, there are a lot of details that could have been left could. aside in that insignia. And we'll, right? we'll talk about we'll talk about his original sighting of what he saw and what this actually turned into. Right. As far as we know, it is an arch, uh, a red. Uh, it's all red. It's all printed red. It's like an arch shape, shaped like dome with an arrow underneath it, okay. pointing upward toward the inner dome. Interesting. But that's not what he originally saw. This is what right. was influenced after military involvement. Okay. That's what they supposedly told him to say he saw? Right. Okay. What is, is that? Is that insignia connected with anything? Or it's do you not think that was just anything, like. Because he, so he, had, just he had never seen anything it like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. There were no text. You know, there was nothing that yeah. would, that would like influence. Because, I mean, his original, his original thought was like. Maybe it's military involvement. Maybe it's NASA yeah. involvement. You know, like look for signs of this being, you know, something like that he can chalk up to be like, oh yeah, this is what it was. All right, yeah, you know, call it a day. But it wasn't. There was nothing like that. It was just weird insignia that was on side on the side of this craft. I guess I'm trying to understand why they would give him that description to give. Right? Exactly. That's like, where we get into this cover up of it all. Um, right. So which, my question with the insignia is like, do you, I mean, personally, do you think that was just an attempt to make it seem even more outlandish, like even more hokey see, that it I was like a dome and I an know. arrow? I feel and, like there were, there was some significance to it. So the so? original thing that apparently he saw was an arrow with three lines crossing through the arrow. Okay. And then now, anywhere, anything you see about it is this dome, this like rounded, rounded arch with an arrow pointing upward towards, like towards the inner arch. Okay. And like it was, it was stated. Um, which once we get into kind of the cover up, you know, end of it all, like yeah. we'll kind of talk about that or retouch on it. But okay. it was stated yeah. that like he was forced to re-explain it, and then he was also forced to say that he never even saw anything. After he did multiple interviews explaining exactly what he had seen. Now, um, did he say that he claimed to not have seen anything, or did he just say, like, no, I'm not allowed he, to talk about that? What he said was, they won't let me talk about it. Gotcha. And I actually okay. have a quote that he says specifically, like, word for word. Um, but again, the gist of it is, you know, sorry, I can't talk about that. They won't, they won't let me talk about it. And they even said, like, during the interview, okay, if there's anything that you're not allowed to talk about, just let us know. And we'll right. we'll skip we'll skip that part of it. You know what this sounds like to me? This reminds me a lot of um when Tom DeLong went on Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Cause it's like every twenty minutes he would like Not every it seemed like every, yeah. Every time he would introduce a new topic and then Rogan would be like, So what about it? And he's like, I'm not allowed to say yeah it's like the not quit bringing it up, who that asshole. is right yeah, no, yeah. Except tom DeLong is a brilliant individual of course he is right. I, know, I, know. I i love tom DeLong, but that's what it reminds me of yeah, I, I and i was that. incredibly I frustrated listening yeah. to that interview i know i know i i i had hoped that it went better 
His obviously yeah. his coast to coast interview was way better than that. Oh but. yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean you have a more open platform, right? Um, yeah. Even like Rogan started out a conspiracy theorist and into like aliens and Bigfoot and stuff, but that yeah. kind of like went by the wayside. The richer he got. Yeah, that's you a, know that's without a doubt. You can you can make whatever judgment calls you want based on that, but um yeah, the coast to coast interview is awesome. But anyway, that that's just what it reminded me yeah. of. So one thing I kinda want to talk about are these beings that he saw. These figures, these quote like quote unquote creatures or small adult large child, if <laughs> yeah. you will. Um, and white and overalls. He explained right. He he essentially described them as wearing white white like coveralls, or yeah. some form of a body suit. Right. Now, keep this in mind as we venture later on into this, and when we get into theories, because we're going to okay. retouch on this specific subject. Yeah. But the fact that also, uh, which I thought was really neat, was. He like startled one of them, and yeah. like, and it completely caught them off guard. So they didn't even know he was there until right. he like was so close. He was almost touching this craft, and he Which saw one gives literally them this... looked straight at him. Right? Yeah, it kind of gives them this like fallible nature, which is like rare in UFO encounters. Yeah, right? Exactly. Usually they're like always in control, and they seem to know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. the whole time. But like. This is kind of like they they fucked up and he stumbled upon them and they're like whoa there's yeah, a guy exactly. here exactly that and that and that's like kind of the takeaway to you know yeah. to take from this is like it's more so not your normal occurrence that you would expect to happen in that situation right I also love how he sort of in his in a roundabout way in his matter of fact manner he basically describes humanoids like. They look like people, but he will. He he repeatedly says, "They I won't say they're people. I can't say they're people." Right. Yep. You know what I mean? Like they look like people, but I can't say if they were people. And it's like he obviously he's he's a cut and dry guy, and he's not gonna like make leaps of judgment. Yeah. Right. But like that's a that's I about mean, as I think that's that nature of him being yeah. a, a police officer. Like he has to right. look at it and not like really speculate, right? Like right. he he's not going to say like yeah this maybe it's this. No, he's yeah. going to give what was there and what he saw. Yeah, objective observation. Right, exactly. Yeah. So now. As this happens, right? So, needless to say, he he sees all this. They fly away. He witnesses it flying and zips through the sky. Uh, and then we have Sergeant Chavez that comes in the area. You know, like, basically seeing Lonnie in this distressed mess of state that he's in. Uh, and Lonnie, like, continues to, like, show him, like, this is where all this stuff happened. These are even the footprints of these people or this these figures that I saw. You know, out here walking around, which essentially were described as like almost like circular suction cupped footprints. Yeah. See, um, I had, I was, I knew that there was like landing site, there was a landing site discovery. Yeah. But I, I had never heard the detail that he actually like they located footprints of the so beings. That's this is in different reports. There's different information. As right. military became involved, there weren't footprints. 
Gotcha. Yes. Okay. So, so early on, earlier on, he talked about footprints. And right. Then, so just to give you a okay. little bit of information. Uh, so we have Sergeant Chavez that comes on. Another one of the local police uh, ends up coming on the scene. I'm trying to trying to find his information here specifically, just because I I don't want to butcher it. Yeah. Um, I just because uh, it's a big deal to have alien footprints, right? Like that's that's a super uncommon thing. Right. Um, I think like Ilkley Moore. Weren't there? Didn't he find footprints at some point? Yeah, there were there were footprints, um, but they were kind of dismissed. So right. there was retired policeman Ted Jordan, uh, which we're gonna kind of deep dive when we talk about cover up the cover up aspect of it all. He seems um, like a good guy to me. Just to just to give you a little bit of background or information on his side of it. Which, okay. again, we'll kind of retouch on briefly, but I'll just go ahead and give the information now. So, he arrived on the scene. He started taking pictures. He took pictures of everything, including okay. footprints that they found of these beings. When the military okay. became involved, he was asked to give up his roll of film, which he had been using to take pictures of the site. Of course. Uh, the photos were said to contain four six-inch deep in, uh, indentations in the ground. Of the feet, which those have been described as anywhere from 10 to 6 inches, whatever. Of the being's feet or the craft's feet? The craft's feet. feet. Okay, I was going to say, that's super deep for a being. Um, Of the scorched bush and of what Jordan remembers to be, quote-unquote, footprints shaped like coffee cups. Oh. When Ted Jordan asked for his film back, the Air Force claimed the film had been, quote-unquote, ruined by radiation and the pictures didn't come out. So I'm just gonna quickly I'm just gonna quickly touch on this. The military yeah. also said there was no radioactivity in the area and all this other stuff. Yeah. So then yet they also come back and said that his film was ruined by radio like radiation. They brought their own radiation to the party. Apparently. <laughs> so like I said, we'll we'll kinda deep dive into a little bit more of the cover up aspect of it. But that's to kinda give you a little bit of like you know, foresight into like what we're what we're dealing with, and some of the locals that kind of came onto the came onto the scene, yeah. right? Um. So after that, then it immediately became the state police became involved, right? Um, doing their own investigation, and the following day, that's when the military and the Air Force became involved. Okay. Uh, separate several like representatives from the Air Force were on the scene. They did a thorough investigation, like even down to like soil tests and all of that. Yeah, and again judged that there was nothing found that was out of the ordinary. Okay. And so, did they make note of any of the any of the landing site? They did um, details. Actually, in Project Blue Book, Project Blue Book is there's like a hundred and some odd page account of this whole story. Yeah, um, that has down to the pictures, down to even like the scorched like plant life and everything around the area. Um, they even have uh, down to the feet of this craft, like its its legs and everything of the craft, down to the area. Like they, I mean, they took like specific measurements and everything. Are those pictures and files available today? Yeah, like to yeah. the public. Yep. Yeah, you you can view them. Well, I'll, I'll make sure if 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 not that uh, you have the link to all that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that became a big thing. You know, so this is one of the biggest, one of the biggest and well-known cases in Project Blue Book as well. 
Yeah, it's one of the rare ones they that they ultimately into. rule unknown, right? Like they don't they don't even have the balls to say like it was exactly. An owl. So and that's right. where that's where we get into some of that kind of cover up portion. What was found? Because there's a whole investigation process that went that, that like proceeded after that, and that's where again local state police, military, air force, and even journalists journalists investigated into this thing. Um, and that's where you know uh, Zamora or Lenny Zamora was even like went out like. Uh, he was interviewed. He was grilled by the military over and over and over to yeah. give up details of this entire event. But at the same time, they also they're they're claiming, yeah, this isn't anything. There's nothing to support what you're saying. We don't believe it. But then there's also a whole other report that uh, that came out. <laughs> so, I know the one that Captain Holder. I know yeah. I was. I was super interested in the fact that he came out and did that press conference where he, or press release where he specifically said, there's no way that military craft could be responsible for what was seen that day. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's when they tried to be like, yeah, you know, he didn't actually see this. This wasn't, this wasn't what, you know, he's claiming like this was more so, you know, and there's some other things, but so did they try to write it off as like a flight of fancy on his part? Like So kind of. Yeah. They 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 were kind of like, yeah, he he wasn't, you know, that's where that there's their those things like was he in this right state of mind or was he not? Wow. And there was the They're initial like he just report. Got confused. Right. There was an initial report saying he was of sound mind and body, yeah. completely sober. He didn't believe in fantastical things and all this other stuff that they yeah. have in their report, but then they're also saying but there's no way that this can be anything that he's describing. Right. But they also go on to give another report. Um, so before I get into that, I'm just also going to explain what happened here. Okay. So Richard Holder, Richard T. Holder that we're talking about, him and an FBI agent by the name of Arthur Burns went out to the area at night. Um, after everything was said and done, they went out at night with flashlights Okay. Um, to look at the area. Uh, there was an excerpt uh, from Fight for UFO Science by Dr. James E. Donald, or McDonald uh, that stated, Investigating officers from the Air Force Project Blue Book had taken over the site, gleaned every piece of burned brush and rocks, and reportedly fused sand. They had cleaned out the gully, taking the physical evidence away to sites unknown. No independent scientists or researchers had been able to learn the results of any analysis the Air Force might have done. So I had mentioned underneath where the craft stood, due to the heat and everything and the way that this, the sand had compacted, it basically created like a crystallized almost glass yeah. texture. Yeah. That was all gone after this night that the uh, Richard T. Holder and uh, the FBI guy went out and investigated with flashlights. The next yeah. day, they could not find anything. Interesting. See, so did they did they supposedly remove it or did Project Blue Book remove it? So it's assumed that they removed it. Now, the other thing is there was a second report that was released by Hector uh, Quincinilla, and he was the former lead of Project Blue Book. Okay. Um, he stated that Air Force was puzzled by the case. He said, Lonnie Sam- or quote, sorry, Lonnie Zamora experienced an event which left quite an impression on him. He was a serious officer, a pillar of his church, 
and a man well-versed in recognizing airborne vehicles in his area. He was puzzled by what he saw, and frankly, so am I. And yet, I've always had some doubt about this case, even though it is the best documented case on record, in spite of the fact that I, I have conducted the most thorough investigation that was humanly possible. The vehicle or stimulus that scared Zamora to the point of panic has never been found. Interesting. And that you know, was my, his... my biggest takeaway from that is that he refers to it as a vehicle or stimulus. Right. That's so interesting. And that's where we get back into this cover up aspect of it. Okay. And that's why I mean that's why so people people are so hard pressed on this being a possible cover-up. Right. Right. It's, it I sounds think it's like the way Blue it's Book kind of was worded being, and everything. Yeah. It, honestly, though, it sounds like the guys from Project Blue Book were being shockingly pretty straight out about it. Right. And that's that's like, what I would think, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the, the fact that the Air Force, or, you know, the, yeah, the Air Force in this case, said... Yeah, there's nothing here. We can't find anything. There's no traces. Anything could be anything. Then also they're like, well, what we found is we don't know. We're just as shocked as everybody else. So it's like, where are they at? You know, I mean, they're saying two conflicting, completely different things. Well, the problem is you, they made this jump a lot back then. Project Blue Book was kind of notorious and Project Grudge even more so beforehand. This thing where like, if they got to the point where they couldn't, you know, they hit a dead end and they're like, we don't know. Yeah. They would just default to it was nothing. I mean, is at that point you have no explanation, right? So, right. Yeah. So Ooh. instead of just saying, we don't know, they would say they must have made it up or like it had to be something like we can't prove what it is, but we know it wasn't anything crazy, right? Because yeah. if it was something crazy, we'd be able to prove that. Which is a very strange logical leap, if you ask me. But it's something they did a lot. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. So just to give our, our listeners some reference to Project Blue Book, we've talked about we've talked about this multiple times. Yeah. Um, but again, anybody that's unaware, as it was specifically a report of UFO phenomena or sightings investigated um, that was specifically disbanded in 1970. Now, supposedly, supposedly, exactly, and we have a, we essentially have a whole UAP fringe division of the government that focuses on this too. So, I mean, the United States for, you know, a century, what they have done is they disband black projects and they just rename them and continue work under a different name. Right. Exactly. Right. That's that's what they've always so, done. But just to give just to give a little more insight of the twelve thousand six hundred eighteen UFO sightings that were investigated by Project Blue Book, only seven hundred and one were found, quote unquote, unexplainable. Yeah. So. I mean, these are, I mean, that's almost 12 and a half thousand, over 12 and a half thousand reports that they yeah. investigated into. They were busy boys. Yeah. Now, one thing as well, in the actual Project Blue Book documentation regarding this case of uh, the Sakura case or the Lonnie Zamora case, 
Uh, they summarized the case and also included pictures of the prints from the legs of the craft, including areas of burnt dirt, quote unquote burnt dirt. It's actually like you look at the pictures, it says burnt dirt. Yeah. Um, rock and sand. Additional photos of footprints, specific footprints from beings. Uh, okay. Vehicle imprint and burned bushes. The article right. also stated that they could not determine what it was. Investigation also stated that there were no automobile markings in the area. So nothing to suggest that anything would have influenced it being there or gotten it there. Right. Um, bes- nothing drove up, nothing drove away. Exactly. Besides the craft itself. Right. Additionally, no radioactivity was found. And soil samples found no change in chemicals. Like, no change in like the chemical makeup of the soil. Right. So, I mean, this is a very thorough investigation that was done. and with, Yeah, they, they were super thorough. Right, always. exactly. So, with this being such, like, a major thing, you know, it wasn't until military involvement, though, that it was like, this isn't a thing. You guys, you, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, we don't know what you're dealing with. Like, this is, this is whatever. Yeah. So, that's where, that's where things, like, literally change, right? You ready to get into the cover-up? So that's what we're kind of briefly touching on now. Um, you know, just without without going specifically, because like I said, that that really gets down into um, Richard T. Holder and then uh, Arthur Burns, especially that night right. to go out with their flashlights. That's one of the biggest things when it comes to the government cover-up. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, it's 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 super rare for an army captain and an FBI like field agent to be working together alone. Right. And then the fact that they had to wait until everybody was gone. It was completely dark and they went out there with flashlights. And the next day, everything that anybody had saw previously was all gone. Right. Yeah. That's definitely odd. So, and that's where, like I said, then it gets into those reports where we have two conflicting air force reports. One stating, yeah, nothing was found, but the other stating, we don't know. We're just as in the dark as you are. Right. You know, and that's where Project Blue Book got involved. Um, Which one was first? Which statement came out first? The statement that came out first was the one stating that we don't know. Like, there's nothing. Nothing there. There's nothing. Right. And then and later then, they said, we don't know Because what after Project Blue Book also did their investigation, that was when then they had to right yeah it, uh, gotcha. essentially like amended at that point like yeah we yeah. we don't know right so and at then, first they were just gonna be like it was nothing and then blue book came in and found weird shit and they had to like the army had to kind of get in line with their findings right and that's blue also Book's richard findings. richard holder that's his part yeah. of, was a part of that along with uh what was it Hen- henry quinton uh yeah quinton quintania uh, which was the original founder of Project Blue Book, original head of Project yeah. Blue Book. Like yeah, the, after like, that was released, the right? Then it was more so like, yeah, we don't know, you know, like right. we're just as baffled. And that was that was one of the things that, especially when it came to the media at that point, was they they didn't have their story straight. It was always changing, and it was something yeah. like you know nobody nobody knew what they were going to say from day to day because it was always different. Yeah, you know, and then that's, speaking. Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of the media, 
some journalists eventually uncovered some corroborating reports, right? From other witnesses. So there are some other reports uh, that I'll, I'll, I'll kind of touch on in just a minute. Cause I have, a, I have three different scenarios, three different stories to kind of talk about okay. that, that also kind of line up with this. One thing I also yeah. wanted to get back into was the markings on this craft. This is another yeah, yeah. part of the cover up was that Zamora was interviewed at one point and was asked about the markings on the craft and he said, quote, unquote, they don't want me saying anything. Referring to the military. So in yeah. initial reports of the marking, it was described as an arrow with three lines cutting through. It was basically just an arrow, three lines. Now it's now anything you look at or look at pictures and everything, commonly known as a rounded arch with an arrow inside of it. Um, it was also said that Zamora was subjected to prolonged and intensive grilling by the Air Force team to basically create a story. Yeah. Um, and that's when then we talked about, and I, I already talked about some of this previously, when we talked yeah. about Ted Jordan, talking about his like camera roll, and then the military yeah. saying, sorry, like your pictures didn't turn out due to some, you know, like due to, due to like this radio, you know, radiation and like radioactivity, whatever yeah. else. So my question about the my question about the insignia right. that he that he saw and then the changed version, I imagine people have endlessly theorized about what each of the symbols mean and why they would insist on the change. I assume they have, but I've not found specifically like what okay. what's been theorized about them. I just wonder why they would. Say, Why they like, would change well, it? You, yeah, right. Like, well, your story can include an insignia, but it has to be this one. Unless, like, yeah. unless that particular one was of a documented race, right? Or you know, like some star or star some, nation that was like using this as like their like whatever, or some top secret program, right? Exactly, because it very well could be. You know, cause yeah, because we we can't we can't rule that out either, yeah. right? So for sure, yeah. So that's I mean that you know that's where like I, I just it's crazy to me that that would be changed. That being one one, it's such a minor thing I would think, but you know the thing like, and then and in the interviews with with Samora after that, him saying they don't want me talking about it. Why? Yeah. Just like, an what odd does detail. that have to do with anything? Exactly. There's more significance to it, but I've not been yeah. able to find that significance. So, well, listeners, I, if you have any insight, please yes, let us know. Yes, please, because I, yeah, I would love to find out what yeah. that means, or even if anybody has like some theories or ideas about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of you at least some of you out there have spent way longer reading into this case than we have so if you if you guys have any insider information about it just reach out let us know for sure especially about the insignia because i'm super curious about that why that I know, would that's, matter that it's it's been bothering me too like it just the, yeah. it's just like the whole principle of it like why is that like why change it right because it means there's one symbol okay, right? There's something yeah. to one's it. okay and one isn't exactly. Obviously, it's just so weird, so weird. Now, after that, um, you know, because we've kind of talked about the cover up, we talked about like kind of almost like conspiracy end of it all. 
Now, there are some possible theories and explanations for what actually happened. Okay. If you want to touch on those. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Philip Kless, uh, which is a famous UFO uh, skeptic, claimed yeah. that Zamora had witnessed a case of what's called ball lightning in the sky. Yeah. And if if you've if you've ever watched it, I mean, if you haven't, go pause, go watch a YouTube video on ball lightning. Yeah, this is incredible. what they claim that he saw. Uh, he also said that Zamora had made the whole thing up and basically used this as a means of promoting tourism to the area because that's always a that's always Jesus. a go-to route that people take and trying yeah. to make you know make light of a situation. My thing is, like, why would he give a fuck if this town has tourism right, or not? exactly. He's just he's... a random policeman. Exactly, yeah. It's not like he was, like, the mayor of the town and he was gonna... No. There's no way he was gonna get reelected unless he could up the tourism. Yeah, like, that, exactly, exactly. It's um, such a stupid fallback it's, it, for It's just, UFO it's skeptics. one of those, like, let's just say this, because, yeah, people are gonna believe that. Like, you know, like, yeah. why, why not? Um, they did it, like... You know, the most glaring example of that to me is the Aurora. Aurora, the Aurora or even case. the one over, um, what was the South America, the one in South America or where it was that they, they like, they built like the, the UFO shaped water tower and stuff like that. Oh, the, uh, Virginia. Yeah. The Virginia one. Yeah. 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 The, like, you know, but like. Because at least that it drove tourism came to, to the fruition. Area. Right, right, exactly. But the Aurora one stands out to me because there are so many dumb holes in that story to attack. But instead, they just say they just wanted tourism. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't yeah. give a damn about tourism in the late 19th century. Yeah. That's right. Like, no, it's so oh, silly. I, I know. I know. Now another uh, another another famous UFO skeptic, uh, Stuart Campbell, stated that Zamora had seen a mirage that was created by the star uh, Canopus, or Canopus, however you want to pronounce it. Um, I don't believe that either. Like that's just super silly. I mean, the thing is, both of these approaches they they try to explain the initial light that he saw right, but exactly. they don't go beyond that right they leave out the rest yeah, exactly so some people even claim that zamora saw a hot air balloon just because right. of the shape like look yeah. they were thinking about this egg-shaped shape like yep. this egg-shaped object rather you know being a hot air balloon but that doesn't make up for anything else and yeah. that was more one of those just like kind of silly things that people threw in now there are some actual legit theories all right, so these, well, these actually like, you know, before you move on to your, before you move on to there, the hot air balloon actually almost makes sense to me. Really? In yeah, in different way, in certain ways, it does. Like, okay, so let's say he, the guy, drops his glasses a little earlier than we thought, right? I could see. I could see him coming up on like a couple of guys that had like maybe accidentally landed their balloon. Okay. Right. And they're kind of like scrambling to get their stuff back in to like get reset. And the flames that he sees 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When it I takes mean, off. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see the, like, but where's like, like the super the loud noise and everything that, you know, like you have a hot air balloon, you have some form of like, you know, something to actually yeah. stand or sit in. Right. Right. Um, right. The, and he yeah, didn't the see basket. that. There wasn't anything yeah. described like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it explains it perfectly, right. but I think that's the closest so far. At least that Better accounts than... for some sort of craft, right? Instead of just different versions of lights in the sky. Right, right, for sure. Because he obviously saw more than that. So, additionally, some believe okay. that what he saw was actually a NASA vessel. So, to give a little bit more information here, in 1964, NASA was uh, experimenting with an early version of their Surveyor Lunar Probe, uh, which traveled essentially to the moon in 1966. So tests of the probe were taking place at a nearby, uh, at the nearby White Sands Missile Range. So, I mean, this is about 100 100 miles away. Yeah. Uh, It was also said that it was being carried by a helicopter on the same day that Zamora saw the initial craft. The probe also used rockets, which would explain the flame that Zamora had seen. Yep. But, however, just as I mentioned, uh, Socorro was nearly 100 miles away, which would make the theory very hard to support. Additionally, the shape of the probe was entirely different than Zamora had described. Um, You have, I mean, first of all, in this thing, it has three arms or legs. Um, And and then also uh, that and the fact that there was no helicopter seen anywhere, um, which the helicopter would have been carrying this. Right. And so, you know, like that's, those are the things that are kind of like, you know, the defense against that possible theory. Right. But White Sands, um, the White Sands base was actually, was also where Captain Holder was stationed. Right. Like that's where he came from. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say. That's interesting. That's definitely the closest so far. Because, like, I could definitely see them, like, maybe they fuck up and they drop it. Right? Maybe. Right. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. And um, then he, like, stumbles upon them right as they're, like, Trying to get it back. It. And, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they, like, take off with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. And again, at that point, he drops his glasses. He, you know, maybe you yeah. can't make out. There's this big old helicopter that's ahead, of, you know, above it, like, trying to carry right. it up. Maybe. Helicopters are pretty damn loud. They are pretty loud, but they're also pretty visible. Yes. So, this is where we get into probably my favorite theory, at least. Okay. All right. I'm excited. Let's hear it. So, another possibility, um, our theory revolves around a nearby tech university called New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology. Uh, this theory basically suggests that the entire events could have been orchestrated by the university students. Harvard astronomer Donard, uh, Donald Menzel and president of the New Mexico Tech, Sterling Colgate, believe that is actually what happened. Uh, so, Energetics Lab, the Energetics Lab on campus, had access to pyrotechnics that could have easily caused bangs and bright lights and things like that, and the flames. Right. They would have also been most likely wearing white coveralls as they were committed, like conducting experiments. Right. Um, it was also claimed that the craft was merely, this is what they claimed, 
that was merely a candle in a balloon. Not sophisticated at all. Okay. Um, and so additionally, it was also said that Lonnie Zamora actually worked on the campus for a few years um, and wasn't exactly liked by the students. Oh, okay. So basically just suggests that it was a prank. Um, but however, none of the students ever came forward with any information or anything to support that. Um, it also doesn't explain the military's, the military's incident involvement in the case. Yeah. But like, unless one of the, unless one of the students was like a high up military guy's son. Maybe, but I, you know what I, I, mean? I feel like that'd be a lot of wasted man hours to like conduct such a massive and thorough prank. Yeah. But for sure. To me, that I'm, sounds the most plausible of all of them. I mean, honestly, it could have just been some like some whip smart kids out in the desert just fucking around. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so and that's where they said it was literally just a balloon with a candle inside of it. That's what he saw. And That's weird. Right. I I, I don't make this shit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, like, yeah, it's just, that's what's, that's what's crazy to me for sure. Yeah. I kind of like that theory though. I don't know how I feel about it. Just being a balloon with a candle inside it. Cause that seems very odd. Right. But like, it seems like very anticlimactic and you yeah, know, like not satisfying at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you like, when you hear this theory of it's like a group of like tech students and they're yeah. out there, like you'd think that they would build something cool. Right. You, you know would, what I you mean? You would think and so, like, but I mean, and also, then they just like, throw in this detail. It was actually just a balloon. With some a people also said it's a hot air balloon. So, I mean, it's the yeah. basically the same thing, right? I don't know what idiot would think that was a good theory. Right. <laughs> So that, to, like I said, that to me, I mean, was the most compelling. Um, yeah. I, to be honest, I'm 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 up in the air. Uh, I'm up in the air about this case. It's with how much, how much information there is, and the fact that like Zamora's case, like his retelling of the recount of the story, never changed. But he also was very open about. Being forced to change. Right. Where he had to, like, omit information. Yeah. Like, and he literally, I mean, you you can listen to radio uh, interviews of him saying, they do not want me to talk about this. Like I said, that was a quote. Yeah. It was a 100% a quote from an interview, a radio interview that you can find online if you look for it. Right. He doesn't just They don't want me to talk about this. Right. Yeah. So, like, with all of that. And then also we have uh, Ted Jordan's camera roll. Like he was taking pictures and saw pictures of the footprints. And then his roll of film just suddenly didn't, you know, didn't take because due to like, you know, radiation or something. Yeah. I mean, the government has a long history of that where they're like, give us your shit. I mean, yeah. And sign this paper, we'll this, get like, it back. like Kecksburg and, and all that stuff, right? Back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, so, like, I find I find it hard to dismiss. Like, I, at the same, you know, like, as, as compelling as even the, that last theory is to me. Because, I mean, yeah, they, there's always a chance that that could be the case. Yeah. I, I think I buy into it for what it actually is. 
Okay. It's just, it's hard not to, you know? Like you said, with everything so you else consider that this it, one, for sure. You consider this one, uh, there's a good possibility that this one is it's legitimate. a legit yeah. alien encounter. I think so. Yeah, okay. I, I think so. And like I said, with just the military involvement, every every bit of information that Project Bluebick had to say, like I said, that's yeah. like a hundred and some odd page report. Um, yeah. you know, and with the way that like his story was forced to be changed and all of that, like, like I said, that, that that all just ties in together just to make me buy into it. I gotta say, all things considered, I I find this to be one of the most compelling UFO cases. Yeah. I I really like Lonnie Zamora as a witness. I think he's he comes across as super reliable. Yeah. He's not I like you're just run of the mill like crazy, like Yeah. I I he seems super reliable and the circumstances are just so odd. Like right. the yeah. the the forced changes in his story, the like you said, I mean I, I won't take time to reiterate everything you've already said, but like I I sort of buy this one, and that's really rare for me with UFO cases. Yeah, I, I feel that. This one, I, feel that. I, mean, I think he definitely, I believe he believes he saw something. That's absolutely 100% certain. Well, like, certain. even even when they've, they've, uh, they've uh, obviously some of the information and stuff has been sent to, like, different universities, and they've done, like, thorough yeah. research and stuff like that, they've even said... Despite what they what they find, it was clear that he saw something that day. They don't know what exactly yeah. it was, but it was yep. something. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Right. I think he definitely saw something anomalous. I agree. I agree for sure. I think yeah, that I absolutely. think that's definitely our, our important takeaway here. Like I said, despite there are some compelling like theories or possible explanations, but at the end of the day, I think he did experience something. Something yeah, happened agreed. that, you know... I don't know that it was extraterrestrial. Might I don't not have know been. that... Right. I don't know. You know, I won't... And that's part of the reason why I find this case so believable is no one is making those crazy leaps in logic. Yeah, exactly. You and know that what was, I mean? That was, gonna, that was gonna be one thing I, I was gonna mention that I completely spaced it. Is he never said, this, gotta, this has no. gotta be some alien or whatever else. No, he never made that comment. No. He just didn't know, like, what they were. He just knew he saw something. A small door or a large large child. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, He's like, what, what the fuck are all these enormous exactly. children doing out in the desert? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I buy into his case. I mean, it just seems so authentic to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I like this one. Well, good, good. I'm I'm glad that we're we're both kind of in agreement there, you know, like. You know, yeah. uh, whether whether we buy every detail or not, like, you know, it's there's something sure. something there for sure. All right. I think that wraps up tonight's episode. Episode 44, the Lonnie Zamora UFO encounter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. It's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes. We're just keeping up on our day to day and maybe some swag along the way. It is our way to show thanks for your support 
and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a blanket. Buy a pillow. Anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram. The brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.